Well, aloha from Maui, Hawaii, and welcome to this week's Ageless Wisdom Mystery School. My name is Michael Benner, and as always, it's a pleasure to be with you today. For those of you listening live, it's November 22nd, 2009, and if you're listening by replay, streaming, or podcast, then this is the day we recorded this program. And you're welcome always to listen live or to listen to the streaming replay on demand at theagelesswisdom.com. It's under the link Web Teleconferences. And, of course, the podcast is available. You can go to the iTunes Store or podcastalley.com or Digital Podcast or Podcast Pickle. Most of the major directories will allow you to subscribe with a single click. And so if you're set up for podcasts, especially if you have a portable MP3 player, you can take these with you and compile a collection, too. And also use the Send One to a Friend gadget on both of our websites, theagelesswisdom.com. Go to web teleconferences. You'll see the upcoming program. You'll see the archive of all the past programs. And right in the middle, a little device you can use to forward any one of these programs by email to a friend of yours who you think might really enjoy it. And they'll appreciate that, and I'll appreciate that, and you'll get a feel-good out of it as well. So use the Send One to a Friend gadget. That's also a feature of our premium podcast at FocusedPassion.com. All of those programs can be forwarded free of charge as often as you want to as many people as you'd like. Well, let's talk about our uh, topic for the day today, which is love and forgiveness. I wanted to do a program just on forgiveness. That's what I said I was going to do in the newsletter. But the more I thought about it in preparing for today's class, the more I realized that we really need to come up on the idea of forgiveness with a review of the nature of love and some of the many qualities of love. And so I guess I'll label the podcast and the streaming archive Love and Forgiveness, even though we just called it forgiveness. I, I, I uh, You just can't have love in your life without forgiveness, and you can't have forgiveness without love. The two are inextricably linked, and I'd like to talk about that. I also want to remind you that any time you have a question or a comment, you can type it into the box, the field on the web page in front of you, along with your name and city, and click Submit. And I'll go to those questions a little later in the program. And uh, if you're on the telephone or if you're willing to make a telephone call, I'd really love to get some participation on the phone. I can unmute callers one at a time, just like a regular talk show on the radio. And... Uh, Gosh, that would be that would be fun. Um, we average about thirty to forty people in these live classes. Uh, we have between seven hundred and eight hundred subscribers now, although we're really starting to grow. Many more people, in other words, listen to this program in replay than participate live. But I like the feeling of a group mind. That's one of the reasons that I wanted to do not just another podcast, but a live webinar as well. 
And if you don't sense being part of this group uh, during the class itself, then surely during the guided imagery visualization exercise that we do in the latter part of the class today, during that meditation, I think you'll certainly feel the presence of the group. Indeed, I don't hear this said by very many people, but any time you meditate, I mean by other meditation teachers or, or mystics or spiritual teachers or whatever, any time you close your eyes, take a few slow deep breaths and create and sense a letting go feeling in the muscles of your body, you get into this alpha brainwave state, you enter into a group of millions of people who are meditating on Earth at exactly that same moment. I mean, there are six billion people on the Earth, many of whom are meditators, and so at any given moment, there have to be several million people in meditation, right? I mean, somebody do the math and uh, and get back to me. I don't know how you'd, how you'd guess that out or estimate that out, but certainly several million and maybe tens of millions or hundreds of millions of people, a lot of people at any given moment, 24-7, are in meditation, aspiring to silence, to tranquility, to an expanded awareness of who they are, and responding deliberately and consciously to an urge or a longing, an appetite, you know, a hunger or a thirst to know more about who we are, what we're for, what is life, and what's our relationship to it. So close your eyes, relax. Anytime you do that, you're in a group. And uh, I think that's one of the fun things about being here live on Sunday. But fortunately, if you're not able to do that, you have the streaming archive and the podcast as well. Okay. Also, I'd love to get email uh, and read it all personally, and uh, we'll respond um, if necessary. Well, I don't mean to say it that way. I enjoy responding if you'd like a response. Um, and uh, all you got to do is email me at my initials at uh, theagelesswisdom.com. Right? Remember, the T-H-E is part of the domain name, so it's M-B, my initials, Michael Benner, Mary Baker, mb at theagelesswisdom.com. Love to hear from you with your uh, suggestions and your comments and your questions, too. Remember that we're still doing private counseling and uh, had a bunch of new people come in this week. Um, A lot of couples counseling lately. I've been doing more couples counseling by phone than than about anything else. Uh, Career counseling, uh, how do I... You know, people are done looking for a job and want to be the job you're looking for uh, to create a major career change. Uh, that would probably be number number two. But I think the economy and the um, just the the angst, the high anxiety in the society and the world today um, is taking its toll on marriages. And the more stressed we are, the more challenging is uh, 
good, high-quality communication. So we're still doing that by phone, and you can email me about that. In fact, I have a voicemail as well. It's all over the website, but uh, you can call it 24-7. It's in Los Angeles, a voicemail service at 818-569-3017. Or mb at theagelesswisdom.com. All right. So love and forgiveness. I think the biggest problem in looking at the tendency to resist forgiveness, by that I mean giving forgiveness, and it is, the word is forgive, right? It's not forgetting, that's a whole different concept. (laughs) Forgiving is a very different concept. And I think the concern is that if we forgive, then the individual or the group of people that we're forgiving is going to get away with something. That we're letting them off the hook even though they're guilty. And that there is some sort of danger in forgetting about the pain that we drag with us to remind us perpetually how we have been wronged, betrayed, lied to or cheated upon by this other person or this group of people. Often it's the people closest to you. It's your ex-husband, your ex-wife, it's your parents, it's your kids. Saturday Night Live last night did a skit about Thanksgiving in the American average American home. <laughs> where everybody just hates being there. I mean, it's a stereotype. It's a generalization that families don't get along and that Thanksgiving is about getting drunk and people getting angry and screaming and yelling and throwing stuff, but it's, you know, if you've seen that in your household, don't be embarrassed. It's going on all up and down the street where you live. Um, Often, it's the people close to us, the closest to us, that we refuse to forgive. As if there's some sort of protection in all of that. Um... If you're a note taker, I know a lot of you like to take uh, take notes in these classes. Here's a good place to begin. Uh, here's something worth writing down. It's a false premise that many, many people believe. I, I dare say all of us at some time in our lives, and maybe most of us all of the time in our lives, fall prey to this false premise. And that's that if I'm already hurt, you can't hurt me. I think you ought to write that down. You can do it in reverse. You can't hurt me because I'm already hurt. The reasoning, uh, say it the other way, the reasoning is if I'm already hurt, how could you hurt me more? 
And so I'm going to be hurt as a protection against getting hurt. Now, if that sounds paradoxical, it is. If that sounds crazy, well, (laughs) I think it is. Not a clinical term we're using here, you know. It's not insane, but that's crazy. That the best way to avoid getting hurt is to continually remind myself how much I've been hurt in the past and to keep picking at that scab, forgive me, to keep poking yourself where it hurts. To keep poking yourself where it hurts. To remind yourself how hurt you are because of how hurt you have been and that you, of course, are a victim. This happened to you. These feelings were done to you. Now, let's just review what we all know about emotional feelings. Everybody listening to this class now, I think, has been exposed at some time, if not through me, through someone, that brings you to this kind of study, to that basic law of emotional responsibility, that your emotional feelings, in spite of appearances, are not really done to you, but evoked from you. And that's also That also merits being written down. My feelings are not done to me, but evoked from me. Now, when we talk about emotional pain and taking responsibility for it, seems odd to me that this is not an issue when it comes to physical pain. We're pretty good at taking responsibility for our physical pain, even when it's caused, as in the case of injury or illness. Let's take injury. If your physical pain is caused by an injury that was done to you by someone else, you may hold them responsible for the accident, In a sense, you might hold them responsible for the pain. But, you know, if I get hit by a car on Main Street and the doctor says, where does it hurt? And I say, on Main Street. He says, no, I mean in your body. Where does it hurt? And I might protest and say, no, we got to talk about the accident. It was on Main Street. The guy was driving a Lincoln Continental, an old model. It was bright red, and he was really a jerk. And here I've got his license number. If you're going to treat the pain, you've got to treat the cause. You've got to know about the car and the guy that drove it. And the doctor's going to look at you like you're out of your mind. And he or she will say, well, that may be, Mr. Benner, but it's your pain now. They may have done it to you, and they may be at fault and responsible for not stopping. But it's your pain now. And changing the car or changing the person that drove the car is going to have no effect on your injury or the pain that is a symptom of the injury. Only as you heal yourself will that pain go away. Well, that's obvious enough. With physical pain, 
So why is it so difficult for us to see when our pain comes from a broken heart? That it's your pain now, Michael. Mary, Joe, Peter, Sally, Ruth, it's your pain now. That's your broken heart. And it doesn't matter if it's about romance or it happened at work, you got fired, uh, somebody else got the promotion, you've been lied to, cheated on, betrayed. To look at the emotional damage that's been done to you, the trauma, only from the point of view of the victim is a clearly incomplete process. It's a good place to begin. Ow! Ouch! I hurt. I feel lied to, cheated on, betrayed, rejected, kicked to the curb. I feel horrible. I have a broken heart. And it's all your fault. Or I was talking about families on Thanksgiving. It can be a lot of little things that just build up over time. Regrets and resentment and anger and grudges that we carefully pack in these little mental suitcases, so to speak. This emotional baggage, you've heard the phrase, that we pack so carefully and drag with us everywhere we go. Excuse me, did I leave my emotional baggage behind? Quick, I have to go get, oh, I just remembered my emotional baggage. Let me go get all of this ancient history so I can bring it with me into the future. We wouldn't want to leave it behind, all of this pain, would we? Who would I be without my pain? might want to write that down too what what in the world would we have to talk about if not for our pain and our outrage at the injustice of having been victimized here and there and everywhere and unappreciated and made to feel bad it's the stories we tell For most people, these are the only stories they have. That's so sad. That's so sad. I used to challenge my students, my private clients, and those in my various classes, at some point or another, to observe conversations around them, whether it was with you know, their friends talking to each other or the family, the larger extended family, or sitting in a restaurant or cafe listening to conversations nearby. Nothing wrong with that. Or, um, you know, out in public, wherever you happen to be at work. Listen to the stories people tell and make a little note, a little mental note, some hash marks about whether those stories are either positive or negative. Are they about how much fun the individual is having, what an exciting life they're having, and how gratifying it is to be able to participate and support other people in their family, in their community, their nation, 
the world, the contributions, the service that we provide, God, it feels so good. How, how many conversations that you're listening in on are, are positive like that compared to the negative conversation, which I think you already realize is going to be much more common and maybe the only kind of conversation you hear, or maybe 90%. pity party, the appeals for sympathy. Oh, you think you've been wronged and lied to and cheated on. That's nothing. Let me tell you my story. My pain is way bigger than your pain. I got better pain than you. I got bigger pain than you. What? What? That's what we're going to spend our lives doing, fighting for, to be the top dog in helplessness and hopelessness and victimization. And who hurts more? That's pretty perverse. That's pretty twisted. And yet, when do you hear about this or read about this stuff? That's why I feel so strongly about you passing this stuff along. And I'm not the only person, clearly. There's, in America alone, uh, gosh, if not a million, certainly several hundred thousand women and men devoted to their psychotherapy, their, their social work, their hypnotherapy, their movement awareness, their kinesiology, their alternative healing practices, whatever, to help people to get more integrated and become more powerful through personal responsibility. And it's one thing to be responsible for your behavior. It's a little more difficult to take responsibility for your thoughts. But the biggest challenge is to take responsibility for your emotional feelings, knowing that they come from you and are not done to you. And so the antidote is to forgive. To forgive is not letting a guilty person off the hook. What is this, again, this agenda that we have, that we have to set other people straight? I think it's it it's, may even be rooted in a good thing, like this longing for justice and fairness which in and of itself is not a bad thing. But, you know, as as Christ said, physician heal thyself before, before you hope to go out and, and fix other people and set them straight. How about setting yourself straight first? And then perhaps you could empathize and make a positive offering of forgiveness to somebody else. Right? So whether you forgive another person and then forgive yourself or forgive yourself and then forgive another person, I'm not even going to debate that. I think it's probably the latter. I, I really think first you have to forgive yourself before you can really forgive others. But if you work it the other way, that's okay. Maybe it's just the simultaneous in the twinkling of an eye, you forgive, period. 
You forgive the perpetrator who hurt you. You forgive yourself for being confused and buying into it, believing you deserve the hurt, agreeing with the perpetrator, in other words. And one could even make an argument that you need to forgive God for not intervening. We're still at a stage in human history where we expect God to intervene. There's a curious saying in religion, and I know there are some people of all religions that accept this, and many people of all religions that reject it. So it's sort of a trans-religious philosophical concept that prayer does not move God. Prayer does not move God. It moves the one who prays into an alignment that prayer creates a path of least resistance to the unmovable divine. But that is like a quantum leap past the view that most people have in all religions, especially Western religions, of God as a puppeteer with this big, giant remote control, like the biggest Nintendo game you ever saw, Xbox on steroids, and God is manipulating and constantly intervening. And people say, well, the only alternative to that would be the deist view, that God creates its creation and then goes on vacation and leaves it all alone. Those are not the only two choices. There's also a view of oneness, of wholeness, that the creator and the creation are inseparable, that the creation is the creator manifested in form. This is largely an Eastern view that causes the Western man to scratch his head. Go, what? I don't get that. What do you mean God is the clouds? You sound sort of pagan here. You're going to reduce God to the to the dirt and the rocks and the snails and the slugs and God is in the snake? It's not that God is in the snake. It's God is the snake and the clouds and the rocks and the plants and the the meta, basic metaphysical concept that that religion, through its deification and personification of divinity, works against. And that all trickles down into this confusion about cause and effect, and who's doing what to whom, when and how and where and why. And so I'm not going to be happy until this person apologizes. Oh, the apology. How could we do a program on forgiveness without talking about the all-powerful apology? And, of course, the truth of the matter is nothing is more unnecessary than an apology. If you feel a need to apologize to someone, by all means, do it. Do it sincerely and come from a deeply humble place. But to ask another for an apology, aha, that's a very different thing. To demand an apology from the other person, that's a very different thing. You do not need 
a person's apology or the group's apology, you do not need contrition from the people that hurt you for you to forgive. And 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 so at this point, what what is forgiveness? What does that even mean? To forgive yourself, to forgive the people that done you wrong. Forgive the English. And to forgive God for not intervening. What it basically means is to let go. To take a breath, and as you exhale, drop it. Like yesterday's garbage in yesterday's newspaper, You know those trash cans with the pedals on them? You step on the pedal and the lid of the trash can pops open? I think those are cool. Well, imagine all of this rotten garbage that you've been dragging around all of your life, the source of 98% of your pain and suffering, old, irrelevant hurt. Imagine wrapping that up like yesterday's garbage in yesterday's newspaper, step on the pedal, I can even hear the lid opening, and just drop it. Gravity will take care of the rest. It will fall right into the waste can, take your foot off the pedal, the lid falls on top, you won't even smell it. You see what I'm saying? There's no big struggle here. This is not like scraping gum off the bottom of your shoe. This is not a struggle or a fight as if emotional hurt is this tenacious being that clings to you. You're holding on to your pain. Your pain is not holding on to you. I want to write that down. Put it down as a question if you're not sure. Is my pain holding on to me or am I holding on to it? And if the latter, why would I do that? Not only hold on to it, but carry it from place to place. And on Thanksgiving, you get together with the family, many of whom you may not like. How old is that pain? How many years have you been dragging that around from place to place? And how many more years will you drag it around? Well, probably forever if you need contrition from the person who hurt you because they probably don't even know they hurt you. Well, maybe you say, well, I've told them. They know. Yeah, well, maybe they don't understand why that would hurt. Because, again, emotions are not done to you. Emotions are evoked from you. So the other person is a stimulus. I sometimes use this example, and I like it. Share it with someone else. You know the axiom, he who teaches learns twice? Share this with somebody in the next day or two. Do it today. Share this with somebody today. Get their response and then have a little chat about this.
because this is good. Imagine that I poke you playfully three or four times. Remember Bill Murray and uh, um, oh, what was that character that he used to do where he would give the, the noogies to uh, I'm blanking on her name today now. You know where he sort of goof around as teenagers and poke each other with a long finger or a or a knuckle playfully playfully and the first three or four times you do that the person does nothing except giggle a little bit and maybe poke you back and and continue the play but then the fourth or fifth time you do it you hit a bruise a spot that that hurts and the person goes ow and pushes you away and says you hurt me And the person that hurt you says, well, why did that hurt? The first three or four times I did it, it didn't hurt, so why that time? Oh, well, because you poked this bruise I've got. Look at this black and blue mark here under my shirt. I I, I did that the other day. I fell into a doorknob and really bruised myself. It's not too bad. It only hurts when I poke it. And you poked it, and it hurt, and you hurt me. And the what? And the person that does the poking goes, wait a minute, I'm not responsible for your pain. You brought it with you. You were already injured. You're already damaged. You're already hurting. I stimulated pain that you brought with you. Own it. Take responsibility for it. You heal it. I can't. Now, what what I will do is my best to avoid poking it while it heals, but the healing is your responsibility. See, we are responsible for our impact on other people. We can always find more elegant and diplomatic ways to tell our truth so that we minimize greatly the hurt that we cause other people in our most candid and and, and honest communications. But at the end of the day, each of us is responsible for how we feel. What could be more intimate and more personal than our emotional feelings? Now, this thread runs through a lot of the programs we do. It's very, very fundamental, very basic to talking about love as consciousness and today's theme, which is forgiveness. So forgiveness is putting it down. Forgiveness is dropping it. Forgiveness is letting it go as no longer relevant. It's sort of like, um, you know, the the fireman is already, the fire department has arrived at the scene of the fire so we can turn off the alarm now. You know what I'm saying? The pain, whether it's physical pain of an injury or emotional pain of an insult, is merely a symptom to get your attention so that you can respond appropriately. And to blame others for your emotional pain is not an appropriate response. 
again, I think it's a good place to begin. You just can't stay there. Now, let me share some of these quotations that I pulled for us today. Um, I want to remind you, first of all, that the Jewish Bible, the Hebrew Bible, had over 640 commandments in it, the Torah, and the, the, the books that were being used before Moses wrote the Pentateuch. And then Moses brings the tablets down from Mount Sinai, and he gets it down from 640-some to 10 basic commandments. Well, there is a story in the New Testament, you don't hear about it much, where somebody comes to Christ and says, hey, Moses got it down to the top 10, sort of like David Letterman, right? What do you think is the most important? What's What's the most important commandment of the 10? And Christ said, well, you know, that there's really two that are real similar and sort of so linked together that I, I can't give you one without the other. And uh, again, I don't usually quote from the Bible, but I'm going to do that today, and I'm going to quote from Buddhist sutras today, too. So this is in Matthew where the Pharisee comes to Jesus and says, so which of these commandments from Moses, these ten that he's boiled it down to, got it from God in the burning bush, right, is the most important. And Christ replies, love the Lord your God with all your heart and with all your soul and with all your mind. This is the first and greatest commandment. And the second is like it. Love your neighbor as yourself. All the law and the prophets hang on these two commandments. That's Christ. So Moses took it from 640-some down to 10. Christ took it down to two and said they're really the same thing. To love God and to love your neighbor as you love yourself, that's all the same thing. So to forgive your neighbor the person who has wronged you, and to forgive yourself and to forgive God for not intervening is all the same thing. That's my argument today. Oh, by the way, Mark tells the same story. Here's Mark's version. I'm supposed to quote chapter and verse. Okay, I will. I just don't like to sound like a fire and brimstone preacher here. At Matthew verses chapter 22, 37 through 40, and this is Mark 12, 30 through 31, tells the same story. Approached by the Pharisee, Christ says, Love the Lord your God with all your heart and with all your soul and with all your mind and with all your strength. The second is this, love your neighbor as yourself. There is no commandment greater than these. Close quote. That's Mark. Now, I'm just going to read through a number of quotations from the New Testament, from the four books, regarding love. And then I'll do the same thing for Buddha. And then we'll talk a little about forgiveness in the words of Christ and forgiveness in the words of Buddha. And then we'll go to your questions and your comments. I can go through this part pretty quickly. Okay. 
again, my, my whole intention here is for you to understand the the concept of forgiveness as a part of love and inextricably linked to love. No forgiveness, no love. No love, no forgiveness. If you refuse to forgive, don't expect to have love in your life. <laughs> and if you refuse love, don't expect to be forgiven or to feel very forgiving. All right? So let's run these down. Let me read some of these to you. All right, we're going to start. I will quote the chapter and verse, all right? Matthew 5, 43 and 44. You've heard it. Let's see. We've got so many. The version I've got is full of uh, yeas and theys and thous, so I probably should have used the new versions, but here we go. Ye have heard that it hath been said, Thou shalt love thy neighbor and hate thine enemy. But I say unto you, Love your enemies, bless them that curse you, do good to them that hate you, and pray for them which despitefully use you and persecute you. Luke 6.27 But I say unto you, which hear, Love your enemies and do good to them which hate you. Okay, it's pretty clear. A little bit later, Luke six thirty-five. But love ye your enemies, and do good, and lend, hoping for nothing again. And your reward shall be great, and you shall be called the children of the highest. For he is kind unto the unthankful and to the evil. From Romans eight twenty-eight. And we know that all things work together for good to them that love God, to them who are the called according to his purpose. All things work together for good once you get it straight, once you get it lined up. <laughs> right? Romans 13.8 Owe no man anything but to love one another. For he that loveth another hath fulfilled the law. He continues here, Romans, um, they continue, Romans, let's go through Romans 13.10, that was 13.8, continuing. For this thou shalt not commit adultery, thou shalt not kill, thou shalt not steal, thou shalt not bear false witness, thou shalt not covet. If there be any other commandment, it is briefly comprehended in this saying, namely, thou shalt love thy neighbor as thyself. Love worketh no ill to his neighbor, and therefore love is the fulfilling of the law. You see, it's really quite simple, isn't it? Fire and brimstone preachers don't talk about love and forgiveness like this. Right? They're using fear to try to scare you. And that, that's why that brand of religion is becoming less and less popular, while more and more people are describing themselves as spiritual but not religious. This is what folks are looking for. And this is the part that the church, I don't mean to generalize, but sometimes we have to generalize, church in general, Catholic, Protestant, 
Jew, Muslim, particularly in the West, tends to leave out. Ephesians 3, 17-319, that Christ may dwell in your hearts by faith, that ye, being rooted and grounded in love, may be able to comprehend with all saints what is the breadth and length and depth and height, and to know the love of Christ which passeth passeth knowledge, the love which passeth knowledge, that ye might be filled with all the fullness of God. The love of Christ. Notice they're not talking about Jesus here, but to Christ. It's another thing religion tends to do. Christian religion is to equate Jesus with the Christos, or the Christ. Christ is a level of consciousness or awareness that dwells in your heart. Okay? Jesus was the man born in Bethlehem, born in, yeah, born in Bethlehem, lived in Nazareth, a carpenter, right? Prophet, no question about it. Son of God, well, he said you're all children of God. So there you go. Let's do one more, and then we'll go to the Buddha quotes. This is uh, 1 John 4, 7 through 8. Well, I'll do 4, 7, and 8, and then I'll do uh, 1 John 4, 18. So weird doing this as a Catholic. I was raised Catholic. We never they never showed us a Bible. Beloved, let us love one another, for love is of God, and everyone that loveth is born of God and knoweth God. And he that loveth not knoweth not God, for God is love. Pretty simple. Then later in 418, 1 John, there is no fear in love, but perfect love casteth out fear, because fear hath torment, and he that feareth is not made perfect in love. So if you refuse to forgive, and you're tormented, there's no love. There's no salvation for you. Okay. Now, about 500 years earlier, you know the story 500 B.C., roughly, this prince, Siddhartha, gives up all of his worldly possessions. Hmm, sounds familiar. Becomes an ascetic looking for a path to God, a way to God. Because clearly money and wealth was not providing it. Well, he finds out poverty does not provide it either and discerns the middle way, and hence we have the realization of Buddhism in all of its richness. And so, let me quote from some Buddhist writings. These are the words of Buddha. Again, like Christ, Buddha himself, uh, Gautama Siddhartha, never wrote anything down. It was transcribed later after the fact. But see if this doesn't sound like Christ who came 500 years later. Maybe Christ was a Buddhist. There's talk that he spent those missing years from age 12 to 30 in India, or Brahmastan, as it was called then. This is Buddha. He is cast away ill will. He dwells with a heart free from ill will, cherishing love and compassion toward all living beings. He cleanses his heart from ill will. He who harbors in his heart love of truth will live and not die, for he has drunk the water of immortality. 
There's your promise of eternal life. The Tathagata, that's the Buddha within or the Christ that dwells in your heart. The Tathagata lets his mind pervade the four quarters of the world with thoughts of love. And thus the whole wide world, above, below, around, and everywhere, will continue to be filled with love, far-reaching, grown great, and beyond measure. And here, quoting Buddha directly, there are five meditations. The first meditation is the meditation of love, in which thou must so adjust thy heart that thou longest for the weal and welfare, if you will, the wealth and good fortune of all beings, including the happiness of thine enemy, including the happiness of your enemy. Okay. Now let's go back and narrow in on the forgiveness. First, a few quotes uh, from the Christian New Testament, and then a couple of quotes again from Buddha comparing that what we've just learned about the essential nature of love and talking about the same thing, really, love thy neighbor as thyself, is loving God. And loving God requires you to love your neighbor as you love yourself, especially if you don't love yourself and forgive your neighbor as you forgive yourself, especially if you're refusing to forgive either. Well, what right do we refuse to forgive? I think is the question that I'm feeling right now. By what right do we presume that we have a justification to withhold the very love and forgiveness that has been granted to us so freely? By what right? So let's go back here. Divine love is forgiveness. First Matthew six fourteen and 15. For if ye forgive men their trespasses, your heavenly Father will also forgive you. But if ye forgive not men their trespasses, neither will your Father forgive your trespasses. Okay. This is what religious people often call judgment and suggest that it happens upon death. I would suggest that it happens in every moment, in every breath of eternity, of this instant, this, this eternal unfolding moment right now. There is a judgment based on the unmovable nature of God as law, the law of karma. What you put out, you get back. Whatever is your attitude toward the worst of your enemies will be reflected upon you, not by some external entity called God upon your death, but I would suggest in your daily life and affairs. You determine your reality. You determine your view. Call it the law of attraction, if you will. You reap what you sow. You go where you look. You get what you expect. Self-fulfilling prophecy. The golden rule. Karma. <laughs> what goes around comes around. The law of attraction, by the way, is the topic that Steve and I cover in the uh, premium audio program this week at Focused Passion. Hope you don't miss that. 99 cents at FocusedPassion.com. These are studio-quality programs. Check that out at FocusedPassion.com. So 
that's pretty clear. Let's go to a little later, Matthew 18. Let's see, what do we have here? 21 and 22. Then came Peter to him and said, Lord, how oft shall my brother, how often, if you will, shall my, uh, shall my brother sin against me that I forgive him? Till seven times? You understand the question? Matthew's saying, hey, J- Jesus, uh, this forgiveness stuff, how much of that do I have to put up with? Like, if he keeps lying to me and cheating on me and doing me wrong and hurting me emotionally, uh, how many times need I forgive? Seven? And according to Matthew, Jesus said unto him, I say not unto thee until seven times, but until seventy times seven. Okay. Four hundred and ninety times? Actually, seven times seven is a reference to infinity in the old Aramaic. It was like the way we would use the word humongous. Uh, it's really not a word, humongous, but everybody knows what it means. <laughs> and uh, the, by the way, in the in Islam, the reference to seventy-two, as in, you know, the jihadists expecting seventy-two virgins, it's not seventy-two as opposed to seventy-one or seventy-three. Again, it's that number in the seventies that is too big for me to even comprehend. So it means infinity, an infinite number. Okay, 70 times 7. You want to know the meaning of that. So Christ is saying, no, not 7 times, 7 times 7, and then 7 more times, and then times 7 again. You don't stop forgiving. What right do you have to withhold that love? Then Matthew 18, 34 and 35 In anger, his master turned to him over the jailers to be tortured until he should uh, pay back all that he owed. Ah, debtor's prison, yes, indeed. And this is how my heavenly Father will treat each of you unless you forgive your brother from your heart. That's pretty severe. I don't know about God in his anger. And then Mark 11:25 and when you stand praying if you hold anything against anyone forgive him so that your father in heaven may forgive you. And Luke 6:36 and 37 be therefore merciful as your father is also merciful. Judge not and ye shall not be judged condemn not and ye shall not be condemned forgive and ye shall be forgiven. Again my argument would be in this moment, right now, in the twinkling of an eye. You're all, you ever heard anybody say, wouldn't it be far out to explore outer space? And somebody once said to me, you're already in outer space? You know, we are. We're in outer space. I mean, where does outer space begin? Well, we're in outer space. At some place, we're in space. Um, That's the way I feel about eternal life. It's not that eternal life begins when you die. You're in eternal life now. It's not life and death. Reincarnation is not really life after life after life. It's one life unending. It's birth and death is the cycle in the ongoing life. So, (laughs) forgiveness. Love, these are, uh, the only thing that's real is this 
eternal moment, this pinpoint of an instant, with a heartbeat, with an in-breath and an out-breath, with a pulse, with an ebb and a flow, with a peak and a valley, with a cyclic yin and a yang that goes around and around so that everything has its season, but never-ending. Never ending. Get get your verbiage straight, I would suggest, too. Be careful with that life and death. It's birth and death within the life. So you're, you're in eternal life now. Just as in a physical sense, earth is outer space. Now, what does Buddha say about forgiveness? You would almost think again that Christ studied Buddhism. I mean, even if only to double-check his homework, right? Buddha says, Forgive thy neighbor the hurt that he hath done unto thee, so shall thy sins also be forgiven when thou prayest. Forgive your neighbor. It's the golden rule. Buddha did not know about Confucius. Confucius did not know about Moses. Christ knew about Moses and Buddha and Confucius. They were ancient history by the time Christ came. He knew all of them. He knew the golden rule. So did Buddha, obviously. Here's another Buddha quote. One man beareth hatred against another, and doth he seek pardon from the Lord question mark? This is a question, so let me read it again. It's sort of like he's saying, are you telling me that this guy who hates another person wants forgiveness from God? What kind of hypocrisy or double standard is that? How crazy is that? And then there is a chapter and verse to these sutras. This is S-I-R, Sir, 28.4. He showeth no mercy to a man which is like himself, and doth he ask forgiveness of his own sins? It's sort of the same thing, said a different way. You're not, you're not showing any mercy to this guy that hurt you, but you want to be forgiven. It's in the only prayer Christ taught. The only prayer Christ taught was not to, you know, Christ, but to the Father. Forgive us our trespasses as we forgive those who trespass against us. Refuse to forgive. How could you be forgiven? It's not like like this judging external God is going to pull the rug out from under you and say, well, you didn't behave right, so I'm going to... It's like law. Right now, in this moment, you refuse to forgive, you suffer. You're the cause of your suffering. You're hurting yourself. How long ago did that hurt happen, and why does it still hurt? Why do you refuse to drop the grudge? Why do you carry it around from place to place, proving, arguing for your right to be deeply hurt and injured, to, to martyr yourself. It's masochistic. I love my pain. Uh, don't make me put my pain down. I've actually had people say to me, Michael, don't make me drop my fear. I don't want to be unafraid. I'm afraid to be unafraid. But 
If you allow me to remain afraid, well, at least it'll be familiar. I feel safe and loved and happy and and filled with joy spontaneously. No, man, I'm sorry, that's way too scary because it's unfamiliar. (laughs) I don't know how that feels. Forgive yourself. Just put it down. Drop it. It's no longer relevant. It's old news. It's yesterday's garbage. Give it up. Let it go. Forgiveness is you take a breath and you put it down and let love flow into its place. As long as you think of spiritual love not as consciousness but some romantic feeling or a sense of agape that you have for your friends and relatives, as long as you see love only in an emotional sense, this stuff is not going to have much appeal. You need to understand capital L love as a level of awareness or consciousness that begins primarily with an understanding that all separation is an illusion. There is nobody here called them. You cannot hurt another without hurting yourself. You cannot hate another without hating yourself. You cannot refuse to forgive another without refusing the forgiveness that is the promise of an eternal life. And again, I speak to you as a philosopher here, not a religious person. For I see merit in all religion. And I see a lot of confusion in all religion because it's designed for the masses. Great. Worship, far out. Fellowship, good thing. But there also needs to be, for the adults in the crowd for the graduates, if you will, that have been through religion, got all the answers they could possibly get and want more, this whole giant field, this all-inclusive field called the perennial philosophy, esoteric philosophy, prisca theologia, the ancient wisdom, or the ageless wisdom, the ancient teachings. Okay. So, Christ and Buddha pretty much have the same things to say on forgiveness and on love, and I thought I'd share that with you today. Okay. That that everybody you look at today, I'd like you, and, and hopefully you could do this tomorrow and the next day too, but if you could just, could, could just do it for the rest of today, everybody you look at, whether you love them, despise them or don't even know them. Aware that each of them is unique in a diverse universe. If you looked at them nonetheless as if they were somehow a reflection of you and that both of you are a reflection of something that is unified ultimately and could not be separated. That would offer us some insight into what we're talking about. And so that one in six human beings on this planet goes to bed hungry every night makes you hungry no matter how full your belly may be. It's just you experience the hunger in different ways. 
that's a, I think that's one of the reasons for obesity in my life and maybe in yours or other people that you know. Is the hunger we think we're feeding is not in the stomach but in the heart. It's because we've disconnected from humanity and from the one life. And we wonder why we feel lonely. There is nobody here called them. There is no other. And this little essay today on love and forgiveness is designed to put you in touch with that. So forgive yourself. Forgive others. Uh, forgive everyone. Without reason. Without, you know, <laughs> needing to set them straight. Without needing an apology. Well, when you're contrite, we'll talk about oh, horse crap. Right. Let's go to the questions here. If you're on the telephone and would like to talk, press star two or go to the telephone. You can use any of the numbers on the web page above the player. If you're concerned about long distance, press the link that says other numbers. Find an area code that is either yours or near you to make that phone call. On the prompt, enter that conference ID, and once you're all hooked up, just press star 2 on the telephone touchpad to raise your hand, and I'll come to you. And if you prefer, you can enter a text comment under the web page in front of you using those fields for comment, name, city, and be sure and press the, uh, the button that says Submit. Let's begin in uh, La Habra. Carol is uh, saying hello. She's with us. She's usually first in line every week. And thank you, Carol. She says hello again to Michael and Doreen. And Robert Fiegel in Irvine today says aloha, Michael. Great topic. When I forgive, I feel a huge weight taken off my shoulders. I physically feel lighter and mentally more perceptive to the good things in people around me. So much of blame is an excuse to avoid accepting responsibility for our actions and in turn miss out on the growth and learning that comes from accepting responsibility for those actions. Thanks for the great class. Have a wonderful Thanksgiving of peace. Robert, very nice. Nicely said. Another Robert, also in Irvine, my ham radio friend, KW6B, says, Hey, Michael, as always, I uh, very much enjoy your programs, and I'm grateful for the wisdom you're providing over the years. Uh, last week you suggested that it's what we don't know about ourselves, which is what we tend to project onto others as a judgment, which would suggest that if we knew more about ourselves, we'd be more forgiving of others and of ourselves. He's, he's quoting Christ, forgive them, Lord, for they know not what they do. You know, from Calvary on the cross, to me, that's probably the most important quotation in all of Christian dogma, in all of Christianity, that one sentence right there, Robert. You know, the church, Catholic and Protestant, makes it about the blood and the sacrifice and the death. To me, the message of Calvary is to forgive somebody who's killing you while they're killing you. That's pretty high, huh? And so the question is, what is it we don't know about ourselves? And I think the answer is in the question. Uh, we are two selves, the higher self and the ego 
or the lower self. The ego needs to be right, controlling, and blaming. If only we realize that we are not our egos, but our true higher self, we could forgive ourselves and would better understand when um, better understand that when someone acts selfishly uh, that they really know not what they do. Your thoughts. Yeah, bingo. What can I say? Forgive them for they know. As long as that doesn't come from an arrogant place, you know, it has to obviously come from a humble place because the first thing you're doing is asking for forgiveness because it really takes one to know one, right? Right? So if you're coming from that place, um, yeah, uh, I... I, I suppose there could be an arrogant version of that where the ego says, um, you know, forgive them for they know not what they do. We know, but <laughs> they don't. You know, might want to be careful of that, but other than that, bingo, that's it. You know, to know thyself is to know that you are the one and the many. You are the one life. You are, at the very least, these two selves, as uh, in addition to being the unity, in, in addition to being the one life, we are individuated as a spiritual essence called the soul, individuated but not separated, sharing the ground is the way the ancients called that. They referred to that not separated, individuated, but not separated self that shares the ground of the one. That would be the soul or the higher self Robert's talking about. And then the ego is the separated self, the part of us that identifies with the fleshy body, with the form nature. And bingo, that's what we're all about on the Focused Passion site, finding yourself in paradise, that's a capital F self. Find your higher self in a meditative level. Become aware. In Honolulu, Bert's with us. He says, hey, Michael, a, um, he says, a Tutsi Rwandan woman. Oh, he has the name here. I, forgive me for not trying this name, uh, Bert. He's talking about a woman who lost most of her family and friends at the hands of the Hutus during the genocide in Rwanda in the 90s. And her parents and her grandparents and the three brothers were all murdered, literally hacked to pieces by machetes. And she now lives in the U.S. But in, instead of seeking any kind of vengeance or revenge, she tours giving lectures on the power of forgiveness. She says, Rwanda can be paradise again, but it will take the love of the entire world to heal my homeland. And that's as it should be. For what happens to Rwandan people, or what happened to Rwanda, happened to us all, meaning humanity was wounded by the genocide. Indeed, the love of a single heart can make a world of difference. I believe we can heal Rwanda and our world by healing one heart at a time. Close quote. Talk about the ultimate act of forgiveness. She sounds like an amazing woman. And here's wishing you and Doreen a very happy Thanksgiving. Aloha, Bert. Hallelujah. Thank you, Bert. Um, there, is a, there is an old African story about the meting out of justice where, if I recall it, 
somebody has committed some sort of crime in this village, uh, theft or something unheard of, and uh, instead of being punished, the uh, the perpetrator, the thief who admits his wrongdoing early on, is caught red-handed. Though somewhat after the fact, he admits his wrongdoing. And instead of being punished, as you would be in the West, in Europe or America, um, a town meeting is called, basically. And everybody comes together in the town square, or in Africa it would be a circle, in the town circle. And everybody gathers around this criminal and takes turns, one at a time, no, not throwing rocks. No, not peppering him with insults. But telling him how loved he is. Telling true stories of why they love him and what he did in the past. Other behaviors and, and, and little stories of this and that and the other thing that speak of the love that the townspeople have for this individual. Some might say, oh my God, that's even a worse punishment. I'd rather be stoned, right? But that kind of broken heart, once healed, creates a quantum growth. If only we knew every time our hearts were broken, it's because they were growing. Sometimes hearts become so crystallized and inflexible, the only way they can grow is to be broken. But we regret and resent that. We don't want the change. Even if it means more love, I don't want to go through the hurt. So I suspect that's in the tradition of Africa, again, among enlightened people. But never the masses. You know, the masses of, of Hindus are not enlightened. The, the masses of Buddhists are not enlightened. The, the masses of Christians are not enlightened. I think it's pretty dangerous to think of yourself as enlightened. It's a, it's a process. It's, it's an unfolding. It's not a destination or a goal we could ever get to, I don't think. Take a couple of more, and then we'll do our visualization exercise here for the day today. Patricia Vega is with us from Los Angeles and says, Aloha, Michael, great show, appropriate for the holidays. She says, there is a saying, it's easier to forgive others their faults than to forgive them for having witnessed your own. Yeah. <laughs> yes, I forgot about that one. That's a very good one. <laughs> I will forgive you. Please forgive me for not forgiving you. Yes, for being such a jerk about it. Yeah. <laughs> Lorelei in Tucson. Hi, Michael. When my co-managers tell me that I should be angry toward other co-workers that blame me for their wrongdoings, uh, that I could get them fired. Uh, still, there are people that I get along with very well, and I feel I should be I feel I should be very angry, but it's not my nature, and I'm just disappointed. While my co-managers are extremely upset, is this a weakness for me? No, of course not. Anger comes from fear, right? 
and all fear is things unknown, as Robert reminded us a few minutes ago, at the center of all things unknown is you. So to know yourself and to understand yourself is to lose your fear. Remember that quote we just had from Christ where love casts out all fear. They cannot coexist. You want more love? Be less afraid. How do I cast out fear? Understand the shadow that the fear represents. Initially, it'll seem to be the world around you. Inevitably and unavoidably, we find out that it's us and the shadow is within, just as the Christ or the Buddha nature is within, so too the shadow is within. Know thyself, heal thyself, work on yourself, forgive yourself, and then offer that to the world. Um, I don't want to get too far behind here. Do we have, I don't see any hands raised from the phone callers, so and my ringer wasn't able to show up today. I'm going to get a new ringer. I want somebody on the phones here. And we got people on the phones. They don't want to talk, and that's fine. Uh, it's cool. It's just I want somebody to use this cool new feature. And uh, once I get it going, I, I, I'm sure we can have more telephone conversation and more text comments in the program. I'll introduce them sooner if I can get more participation on the phone, but it's up to you guys. I'll tell you something else that's interesting. I mentioned to you the vast majority of people listen to the podcast. People who listen by phone listen for shorter periods of time than people on the web. Again, people that listen live are the minority compared to the people that listen to the replay, either streaming or podcast. But of those that listen live, People on the web listen a lot longer on average than people on the phone. I'm not sure why that is, but there you go. Again, no reason to pay for a long-distance call. Use a number near you. They're all right there on the website. Let's do our visualization exercise. If you close your eyes, get all comfortable. Then close your eyes and relax. Take a nice, slow, deep breath or two. Ah, and as you exhale, <laughs> Feel that melty feeling, all right? Create and sense a letting go of muscular tension as if you really, really felt safe and relaxed. In order to concentrate, to focus our attention, in order to expand our awareness and truly understand first ourselves, and then the world around us as it reflects the one life within us and without us. We need to alter our awareness and come to a balanced and centered place of perfect peace. You need to convince the brain and the central nervous system that you are very, very safe. So watch your breathing let it become slow and natural after taking two or three or maybe four very slow, deep breaths. Really slow it down and exhale fully and completely. Nose breathing from the diaphragm. 
then as you turn that breathing over to autopilot, go back again to the feeling in the body of letting go. And that gentle, natural breathing, the feeling of being all loose and limp and vulnerable and safe, muscles relaxing and unwinding, with the greatly reduced stimulus that comes from simply closing your eyes and allowing my voice to guide you, you are now already moving into that level of expanded awareness. And your emotional nature is becoming even now more and more calm. And your mental nature, even now, is becoming more steady and undisturbed. And you can reinforce this by imagining yourself in a beautiful, beautiful paradise, a garden, a wilderness meadow or a forest with running water or a little lake, a beautiful view, and a perfect day, sunlight coming down through the trees, and you smell the fragrances of nature all around you. And hear the birds as my voice guides you. And the snap of the twig from time to time, the rustle of leaves or pine needles as you walk through the forest. Or the sound of beautiful wildflowers brushing against your legs as you wade through this beautiful field of flowers or find a shady spot in a sunny open place. You dream it up. Put yourself upon the earth feeling very safe and very relaxed. Let go of your resistance to looking at hurt and emotional pain as if you're uncorking a bottle and allowing all that you've jammed down inside to come up and out to liberate the pain to set it free but it comes up and out it doesn't stick around you've been holding on to it you thought it was holding on to you but you can feel the letting go now. And your forgiveness does not necessarily require that it be announced to anyone. It may be simply apparent in your behavior the next time you encounter this individual or group. You may wish at some point to say something, but it might be better if you just didn't say anything at all and allow this forgiveness to be an internal process, very private, very personal, very intimate. I'm just putting it all down. Of accepting how tired you are 
of dragging this pain with you every place you go. Of presenting it like a calling card. Of using it even as a front for what you don't know about the truth of your personality and the character deep inside. Presenting your hurt as if it were a weapon or a shield, as if you can't hurt me because I'm already hurt. And if I'm already hurt, then you can't hurt me. And if I'm already angry, you can't make me angry. So I'll arrive on the scene already hurt and angry. And you're tired of that. It's exhausting. Hell, it's just way too much work. And so gather it up. I mean, if you're carrying it around in a kind of a suitcase, why don't you imagine this emotional baggage right now in front of you? It might be a little bit of carry-on luggage, but it's probably more like a footlocker, right? Full of all of your pain and your suffering and all the stories that you've told again and again of being wronged. We don't have very many stories about how we hurt other people because we didn't know it. Even when they told us we hurt them, we didn't get it. But we've got stories about how they hurt us. Oh, we've been dragging them around. Sometimes we have to get another footlocker and drag that with us wherever we go. Well, what if you left it here today, right now? What if you decided to leave all this crap, all of this hurt and this pain and suffering that you've imposed upon yourself, even if you feel you were at one time a victim, you must admit that you're now dragging this stuff around. You don't want that bruise to heal. In case somebody pokes it again, you'll have somebody to blame. See? Are you willing to give up that secondary gain, someone to blame, someone to point a finger at, an easy story to tell about being helpless and hopeless. You're willing to give up that small appearance of advantage for the enormous benefit of being spiritually free, at peace, and joyous, happy for no reasons, just bubbly and effervescent, sort of giggly. There was a time when you were happy for no reason, before you got hurt so much, before we became so damaged and bruised and battered. Well, those injuries physical and emotional, will heal. We don't have to drag the pain forward as a symptom of the injury, which simply re-injures or keeps alive the injury. Call your own bluff. There is no benefit to that. It does not protect you. 
It is not true that if you're already hurt and angry, you can't be hurt and angry. You're already hurt and angry. Recognize the foolishness, albeit popular, nonetheless the foolishness in this common strategy. And put it down with a breath and a letting go. Say to yourself, I'm going to leave all this here. I'm going to leave it behind. I'm going to leave it right here in this place, in this paradise. Where as soon as I leave, it will cease to exist. And if it reoccurs, if there is some sort of echo to it all, then I'll simply repeat the process. And identify with the higher self that supplants all fear and all pain with love as forgiveness. Forgive yourself. Put it down here now. Leave it behind. Forgive those who hurt you. Let it go. You don't need an apology. They need not be contrite. They don't even need to know. Put it down. Let it go. Give it up. It's not your friend. This pain, this fear is off purpose. Let it go. And see yourself now slowly rising and walking away. Walk away. And walk away. And imagine jumping into the basket of a hot air balloon, a beautiful hot air balloon. Cast off the rope and drop a sandbag or two as I count slowly to five, beginning with one. Imagine yourself in that basket, slowly rising, gently floating upward to drifting from this place of inner directed awareness toward the outer world. Three, as you pass the tops of the tallest trees, and continue to gently drift higher and higher, floating toward the waking state. And five, his eyes open, wide awake, feeling fine, rested, refreshed, back in the room, have left behind, probably feeling a lot lighter, too, because you're not dragging all that stuff around. Uh, again, this is a process that, for most of us, requires repetition. So, do accept that. It's a practice, after all. It's not a destination. It's a journey. And uh, it speaks directly to meaning and purpose of life. This is a much more complete idea of, if not redemption or resurrection, certainly refinement or atonement or transformation, transmutation. Moving on up. Moving on up. Better and better every day in every way. Hey, be sure and check out the premium audio program that Steve and I do. It's studio quality. It makes this webinar, The Ageless Wisdom, possible. And if you can subscribe for just three ninety six a month, we'd love to have you on board as a subscriber. $0.99 cents a week for premium audio programs, Steve and I together. 
The series is called Finding Yourself in Paradise, and you can sign up for a free account and get the first six programs for no charge whatsoever at FocusedPassion.com. Remember the ED, that's FocusedPassion.com. Just leave your email and the first name and choose a password and you'll have access to the site. Thanks for listening. Thanks for being with us. Have a great Thanksgiving holiday weekend. We'll talk to you next Sunday, which will be my birthday, by the way, the 29th. And as always, be gentle, love life, and take care of each other. This is Michael Benner. Aloha from Maui, Hawaii. The moderator has left the conference.